This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Let's come to the well this morning. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, most of this chapter this morning. We're going to start at verse 3, work ourselves, work our way down. Uh, we've been in the midst of this series, Who's Your One? And so this morning we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a one by the well. We're talking about the, the conversation to reach your one this morning. John chapter 4. And look with me at the at uh, verses. We'll begin with verse three, and we'll work down to verse forty-two. If you'll stand uh, as we look at God's word together this morning, the conversation to reach your one. John four, and beginning with verse three, says, "He left Judea and went again to Galilee." He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I I will give him will become a well springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, "I, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither here on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. 
the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. You can be seated. So Father, we, we pray that as we get ready to dig into your word, that by the power of your your Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to understand it, to apply it. We pray that it would, would penetrate deeply into our lives and out into our living, and that you would make us instruments, uh, conduits of the, the water of life that only you can provide that, that you would make us instruments to, to, to share about that, that others might drink from that fountain and receive everlasting life that only you can provide. Bless this time together as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a picture of uh, Addison's Walk. It's a trail in Oxford, England. And in the wee hours of September 20th, 1931, two friends, two Oxford professors were walking down this path and they were having a gospel conversation. The two professors were C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien, the author of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, was already a Christian. C.S. Lewis was not at that point. And, and Tolkien shared with him the truth of the gospel that night. And Lewis did not become a believer that night, but the hound of heaven was on his trail. And nine days later, he gave his life to the Lord. C.S. Lewis would go on to write Christian classics like Mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters, and the Chronicles of of Narnia. And it all began with a, a conversation between two friends. And if we're going to reach our friends for Christ, there are going to have to be conversations with them about the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at a conversation that takes place by a well. So what do we see in this text? If you want to take notes, you can do that on your bullets. And one of the things that I've started to do the last couple of weeks is to provide, when there's a a quote, um, we're trying to put some of those on your handout. I know some of you like to take the quotes home uh, with you. And so if you want to take notes, you have the opportunity to do that every week on your your bulletin. But the first thing that we see here in chapter 4 is the heart of Christ for the lost. The heart of Christ 
of Christ for the loss. Uh, let's go back and look at verses 3 and 4. It says, He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So Jesus here is leaving the south of the country in Judea, and he's headed north up to Galilee. Now, the most direct route from Judea to Galilee is through Samaria. But that's a route that a lot of Jews did not take. They didn't go through Samaria. And the reason they didn't go through Samaria is because they wanted to avoid contact with Samaritans. Because they didn't like Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't like them. But as we've seen time and time again, Jesus doesn't play by those rules. He is constantly reaching out to people beyond his own ethnicity, his own race, and his own religion. And so Jesus goes up through Samaria. And verse 4 tells us that he had to travel through Samaria. Well, he didn't have to logistically. Um, Most people did not. They would go around Samaria to get up to Galilee. But it says that Jesus had to. Well, he didn't literally have to logistically, but he did have to spiritually because it was a part of his mission to reach the lost. And we see in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43 that Jesus says, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's why he takes this route through Samaria, because lost people are there. Donald Barnhouse, great pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years, but Barnhouse told about a, a, a serviceman who came into port in San Francisco, and he had to get across the country to his hometown of Philadelphia. But instead of going directly from San Francisco to Philadelphia, this soldier went from San Francisco all the way down to Miami and then to Philadelphia. Why did he do that? Because his fiance lived in Miami. And in a way, Jesus is taking this unusual route for love, because of love, because of love for lost people. You remember what we talked about last week when we looked at Matthew 9. What did Jesus say there? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus came to to reach out to those who were spiritually sick. And so this is why he finds himself in Samaria by this well in conversation with this woman. Let's look at verse 7. It says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Now, that, that sounds perfectly normal in our culture, but in this culture, at this time, and in this place, for Jesus to ask this woman for a drink was anything but normal. It was kind of scandalous in a way. First of all, she was a Samaritan, and Jews didn't typically talk to Samaritans. Second, she is a Samaritan woman. 
and men didn't even typically talk one-on-one to women in this culture, let alone women with the kind of, of reputation that she had. Uh, and not only was she a Samaritan woman, but this Samaritan woman was shunned by other Samaritan women. That's why she's at the well alone in the heat of the day. The other Samaritan women from that town would have come early in the morning and they would have come as a group. But she is alone. And it's because she is shunned because of the choices that she has made in life. And so she is shocked when Jesus even speaks to her. And you can see her shock here in in verse 9. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked. And for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But again and again in the Gospels, we see that Jesus is reaching out beyond his own race, beyond his own ethnicity, uh, beyond his gender, Uh, We we see that Jesus is reaching out to people, not only people who are outcast, but for ethnic reasons or religious reasons or or, or racial reasons, but we see that Jesus is reaching out to people who are outcast because of choices that they have made in life. That's what we saw last week with Matthew, the tax collector. Nobody wanted to even be around him. But Jesus is reaching out to him in love. And in this case, this woman is an outcast, not only because of her, because of her ethnicity and her religion, she is an outcast because of, of her own choices as, as well. She's got all of this stuff going on. But see, Jesus transcends all of those boundaries. And Jesus is about making people new. And Jesus is about creating a new family, a new humanity in him that that transcends all of these barriers that divide people. And so we see in Galatians 3.28 that the Apostle Paul says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is about tearing down the walls that divide us in this world. And that's possible because we have a Savior who loved us so much that one day in Jerusalem, he picked up a cross and he carried it outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem and was crucified there for us outside the walls so that we can be brought inside into the very presence of of the living God. And therefore, he calls us to go outside, outside of our comfort zone, outside of our pride, to reach out to other people as he has reached us. The heart of Christ for the lost. Second, we see here the satisfaction only Christ can provide. The satisfaction only Christ can provide. Jesus answers the woman's question in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. 
It's funny how, how the, the view of, uh, of, of water has kind of changed through the years. I'm old enough to remember football practices in August when coaches would deny us water. Now, that would get coaches fired today. But back in those days, oh, water during practice, that's for sissies. And besides, it'll make you cramp up, you know. Now we, we know better. Okay? We, we know that you really need to stay hydrated. Your thirst needs to be quenched. I was on the Arabian Peninsula this past July, and I'll tell you, it it just gave me a whole new view of these biblical passages about the desert and, and, and thirst because literally you would walk outside and it was almost like the, the heat was assaulting you and you would die so quickly without water. But Jesus here is talking about deeper thirst than the physical. Thirst that we try to satisfy in in all kinds of ways that will never satisfy. Some people in our culture are trying to to satisfy their, their thirst just through stuff. You know, going out and buying things and whipping out that, that piece of plastic and purchasing something sort of gives them a temporary distraction, a temporary high. Or maybe they're seeking that kind of high through um, alcohol or drugs. Or you know, maybe they're seeking that high through just the acquisition of, of money itself. John D. Rockefeller, America's first billionaire in the early 1900s, imagine that, was once asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. <laughs> you know, we, we try to satisfy ourselves through three things that, that are never going to satisfy. We may try to satisfy ourselves through, uh, through r- relationships. We think another person is going to fill that hole in our lives. That was certainly the case with this woman. She has gone through a whole series of unsuccessful relationships and come up empty. <laughs> Long before the film uh, Jerry Maguire, <laughs> and the, she has discovered that the, the idea that another person can complete you is a myth. It's a lie. Nothing, nothing and no one can, can ultimately satisfy us outside of God. And see, Jesus knows that. Jesus and his omniscience knows her whole story, knows about her whole past, knows the emptiness that she's in. And so he says in verses 13 and 14, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Listen, nothing can ultimately satisfy you but God, and that is because you were made by God and for God. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The satisfaction that only Christ can provide. Third, 
the harvest that is ready. The harvest that is ready. Later, his disciples are going to return and they are flabbergasted that Jesus is talking with this woman. But Jesus reminds them what this is all about. And he says in verse 35, don't you say there's still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Jesus is saying, do you guys think that you have to wait in order to reap the fruit of the gospel? Do you really think that this is something that you have to put off until later? You're wrong. Look at these Samaritans. They are coming now. Look at what happens. Verses 39 and following. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. Remember this story. The next, the next time you were tempted to think that one person can't make much of a difference, let me tell you, this woman was the least, least likely person in that town to make any difference. But look at the difference that she made. This conversation by the well turns into a two-day stay in that town. And, and many end up coming to Christ because of her witness. It wasn't about her ability it was about her availability to the Lord. Can he use us to reach many people? Yes, he can. But that begins really with one. How do people come to Christ? One by one. And so we'll never reach all until we reach one. That's what we've been talking about. God can use each one of you. He can use you. He can use you to make an incredible difference in the lives of people that are within your sphere of influence and your life. But, but, but people come to Christ one by one. And, and, and they need your prayers. Our friends desperately need lost friends, lost family members, lost neighbors, lost people that we go to school with. The lost people in our lives need us to be interceding for them, specifically by name, because God can do things in their hearts that we simply can't do. He can open hearts by the power of the Spirit. But listen, he draws people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel through gospel conversations. God has put you in their lives. God has given you access to them. And, and it takes us speaking up and sharing the good news of what Christ has, has done. It takes conversations with our one Listen, God can use you in the lives of people. A few weeks ago, you, you, took, a, you took a card uh, 
And many of you wrote down the, the names of, of people on your, your card. Uh, you're, you're, you're one. And, and many of you still have those, those, those cards. But listen, here's what we're, we're going to invite you to do next Sunday. We want to invite you, if you've got that card, bring it with you. Or Listen, we're going to have plenty more, okay? We'll have, we'll have plenty. If you don't have your card with you, or even if you want to keep your card, you can, get a, you can get a new one, however you want to do this. We're going to make sure everybody here next Sunday has one of those cards. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring those cards forward, and we're going to lay those names on the altar before God as a visible covenant before God that we are interceding for these people. We are praying for them. We are praying for God to work in their lives. And we are committing ourselves to share Christ with them and to invite them, invite them to the Lord, to the living water. We're going to invite them to come to the well and to drink. Can God use you? Absolutely, he can. We make ourselves available to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the satisfaction that only Jesus can provide. And Lord, in a, in a world where people are just coming up empty time and time again as they try to satisfy themselves with things that will never satisfy, we, we thank you that we have discovered the living water that can truly, truly quench our thirst forever. And so, Father, we pray for people in our lives. We, we pray for our ones. We, we pray that you would be doing things in their lives that only you can do, that you would be softening their hearts, that you would be working through all kinds of circumstances in their lives to draw them to yourself. And, Lord, we know one of the things that you've done in their lives is that you've, you've given them a, at least one Christian friend, and that's the people in this room. And we pray that you would make us obedient and give us the love to pray faithfully for our ones and to share with our ones and to invite our, our, our ones. And we pray that you would do in their lives what only you can do. As we just continue to, to bow before the Lord, it could be that you're here this morning and, and, and you need the living water that only Christ can provide. You've been trying to drink from the empty, broken cisterns of this world that can never satisfy. Come to Christ. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Turn from trying to do life apart from him and turn to Jesus and trust him. Trust that he died for your sins on that cross and that he rose from the dead and that your sins can be forgiven and that new life can be found in him. Invite him to come into your life as Savior and Lord. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of, of invitation, and we want to invite you, if God's working in your life, to give your life to him, we want to invite you to come. We're here for you. If you're here this morning, God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family. Say, I want to join hands with these brothers and sisters and be a part of what God is doing in this faith family. We want to invite you to come. We want to welcome you. If there's a need in your life for prayer or spiritual counsel, we are here for you. Our pastors are here. This altar is open for you. Father, would you work in the lives of people as only you can? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.